Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Such beautiful music today. Will you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at one verse just in a moment, and that is verse 4. The title of the message is The Love of God. By the video and song, um, we are pretty clear on what we're speaking of today. As we learned last week, the love of God is the standard by which we define all love. This morning, we're going to continue the series focusing on truth, love, and worship, the DNA of of our church family. And we're going to learn from a variety of Scripture, a variety of truths about the love of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. That is our text. Here are five points that we're going to cover today in the message. We're going to see God's purpose to love. We're going to look at God's plan to love. We're going to see God's preference in love. We'll see God's protection of love. And then we're going to see God's proof of love. 
the first of these is so very interesting. God's purpose to love. Now, there are some things in life that are just adorable and seemingly lovable. <clears throat> we know that, that puppies are adorable, and uh, most everybody uh, thinks that a puppy is adorable. Even if you don't like dogs, you think that a, a puppy is adorable. And uh, certainly babies are adorable. If you don't like children, surely you think that babies are, are <clears throat> lovable and, and adorable. You might know some people who are adorable as well. There might be some people that you're familiar with, and you think of them as just lovable people. You think, wow, there's a person that's just <clears throat> lovable. You might even think of yourself as being a lovable person. But the question is this, are any of us lovable to God? When God looks at us, does God see us as lovable? The Bible says that we are all as an unclean thing. That doesn't sound very lovable. When our children come in and they're nasty with mud uh, and, and uh, they smell bad, we still love them, but they're not very lovable. They're certainly uh, not, th- that's not the moment of our highest affection where we want to hug them up. <clears throat> well, the Bible says that that's the way that we are. Our iniquities, like the wind, have carried us away from the ways of God. We are not so very lovable, and we're certainly not so very embraceable. We're not attractive to God. We're not attractive to a holy God, yet He loves us. As the skit uh, portrayed, God decided to love us. Through His Son, Jesus, God shows His love for us. Now, why does God love us? Why does God love you? And why does God love me? It's a very simple thing. God purposes to love us. He decided ahead of time to love us. That's true for uh, the nation Israel, and that's true for you and me. Concerning the nation Israel, in in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 7, it says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that God set His love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all people. In Deuteronomy 10 and verse 15, it says, yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and chose their offsprings, uh, their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. The, the Jews, uh, to the Jews, God reveals to them that he set his love on them, that he purposed to love him, them, that he determined to love them. Now, we can understand that. For instance, when our children were born, and even before our children were born, we set our hearts on them. We determined ahead of time that we were going to love them. We didn't really care what they were going to look like. We didn't really care whether they're going to have hair or no hair. Uh, We were going to love them. We were going to love them no matter what. We had determined in our hearts that we're going to love them. We didn't wait to see if they would be flawless to determine if we would love them. We didn't wait to see if they would be perfect. In fact, we decided ahead of time that they were perfect uh, before they were even born. And even with their imperfections, they were perfect to us because we had already decided to love them. We purposed to love them. Now, let me go beyond that. 
when our children marry, and some of you have experienced this, some of you have not, when our children marry, we set our hearts to love the one that they marry. We predetermine to love that one that they marry. And I will tell you this, we, we work at loving that one that they marry because we have purposed to love that one. That, per, that person will come into our lives and <clears throat> into our families, and they will be from a completely different slant and upbringing than our own children. But we have decided ahead of time <clears throat> that we're going to love them. We're going to love our sons and daughters by marriage, and hopefully <clears throat> they will feel the same toward us. That is a purpose to love, and we work <clears throat> at setting our love on them. Now, I said all that to say this, that's the way that God loves us. God set his love on the Jewish people through some outrageous behavior and much rejection. He continued to love them because he purposed to love them. His love, like his mercy, is without repentance. And once he decides to love, he loves. Love is based on God's decision, not based on our deserving. God purposes to love. That's what he decided from the beginning. This is the way that we were brought into the love of God because he decided to love us. I hope that none of us would think to ourselves, boy, I'm, I know that God really loves me because I'm, I'm such a wonderful individual. I, I have such a, a unique gift in my life and I think I'm a real asset to, to God's family. And, and I'm just glad that, that God loves me uh, because of who I am. That's not the reason that God loves you. God loves you in spite of who you are. God loved you before you were who you are. God loves you because he purposes to love you. First John 4 and verse 10. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That means that he sent Jesus to be the satisfaction for all <clears throat> that is unlovely in our lives. And there's a lot that's unlovely in your life and mine. So we learn <clears throat> a lot about <clears throat> loving by this powerful truth. And all of the people you know in life, are there those for which you should set or purpose to love? Are there some people <clears throat> that you should learn to love or purpose to love the way that, that God loved you? Is there <clears throat> is God's purpose to love just something that's to be kept within him? Or is there something that we're supposed to learn from that? Are we supposed to look at someone and know of someone who maybe does not in and of themselves deserve our love, yet we set our love on them? <clears throat> we purpose uh, to love them. We do not love them for what they can do for us, but we love them for <clears throat> the Lord's sake. We love them for God's sake. You love them with a purposeful love with which God loves you, the same love with which God loves you. All of us would be more lovely as believers if we could learn, first of all, how we were loved. We were loved not because of us, but in spite of us. We were loved when we were unlovely. And we would be uh, more lovely if we purpose to love in that same way, if we had a <clears throat> deliberate love, a love of commitment, a decision to love. So let's just pause for a moment and thinking about the purpose of God's love, and let's ask ourselves, 
Is there somebody that I should purpose to love? Is there somebody who is not particularly lovely to me, somebody who is not particularly attractive to me, somebody I do not particularly care about, but I need to purpose to love them? I I need to decide that if I love them with a purposeful love the way that God loved me, then I might get a different response from them than I'm currently getting. Remember this, the Bible says that we love God because He loved us. Would there be somebody that would be considerably different if you decided ahead of time that you're going to love them, that you're going to love them in spite of their unloveliness, that you're going to love them in spite of the fact that something was wrong, drastically wrong in your relationship? Well, that's the first part of the the message today, the purpose or God's purpose to love. Here's the second thing. Beyond God's purpose to love, He set, in effect, a plan to love. He has a purpose, and He has a plan as well. Now, here's God's plan for love. God's plan for love is very simple. It's faithful love. God God plans to be faithful in His love for you and me. Like a husband and a wife are to be faithful to each other, God is faithful to love us. He has just decided, I'm going to be faithful in love. Now, here's some verses in Psalms to speak of God's faithful, His steadfast love. Psalm 42 and verse 8, by day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer uh, to the God of my life. In Psalm 63 and verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. There it is, is again, steadfast love. Here it is in Psalm 89 and verse 33, <clears throat> but I will Uh, not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. Now, how does that relate to you and me? How how does God's steadfast love affect you and me? How is it an example for you and me? How should our love be faithful? And to whom should our love be faithful? Well, let me give you two or three applications of faithful love. First of all, if you're married, you ought to have faithful love to your mate. When somebody asks me to conduct their, their wedding, I send them what I call the standard ceremony. I say, I'm going <clears> to <throat> send you a, a standard ceremony, and from this you can customize your wedding to suit uh, what you want and <clears throat> what you're dreaming about for your big day and, and so on. And sometimes there are a few changes on how the words are said, but rarely are there any requests to change what we know as, as the vows. And the vows almost always remain the same, at least if not in exact words and exact meaning. For instance, the groom is asked, uh, as I was asked 40 years ago, here's something that I was asked almost 40 years ago. It'll be <clears throat> 41 years ago come September the 2nd. I was asked this. <clears throat> My father asked me this question standing at the altar of the Eastland Baptist Church in, in Nashville, uh, Tennessee, in, in 1972, on September the 2nd, in the evening. My dad looked at me, and he said, do you take Jan to be your lawful wedded wife, and do you solemnly promise before God and these witnesses that you will love, honor, and cherish her? And that forsaking all others for her alone, you will give her all your love until God, by death, shall separate you. 
Now, my dad asked me that question. Here's what he was asking. Randy, do you have a plan to love Jan? Do you have a plan to be faithful to her? Do you have a plan to live your whole life with her? Now, Randy, I'm asking you about this plan. Do you have this plan? Are you vowing before Jan and me, all these people standing up here with you, and all these people who have come to the Eastland Baptist Church here on Gallatin Road in East Nashville, are you, are you going to promise uh, your, your bride here that you're going to be faithful to her, and are you going to make that promise in front of a lot of people? Now, I had an answer to give. It was either I do or I don't. And when I said I do, that was a vow that I set out on that day to have a plan to love Jan. I got a plan for Jan. And that's the way that it worked. Now, I want to tell you something. In marriage, you can forget a lot of things that will cause you some problems. You can forget a birthday. If you forget a birthday, there's going to be trouble. But usually, it won't end a marriage. Uh, You can forget to be courteous and encouraging, and it'll cost you if you forget to be courteous and encouraging. But let me say this, forgetting your vows, well, that'll threaten your marriage more than anything else, because that is a plan to be faithful to your love. A lot of men and a lot of women forget their vows. That's not the way of God, and that's not the way of marriage. God didn't say, I'm going to purpose to love them, and I'm going to set out and I'm going to have a a plan to love them, but I'm going to abandon my plan. The Bible says that God will never leave us nor forsake us. He doesn't leave the plan. Be faithful to your vows for today and for tomorrow and for this year and four years and all the years that you're on this earth. Be faithful to those vows. There are widows and widowers in this service right now who can thank God for a marriage that was faithful to the vows. Like God had a plan for love, we have a plan to love our husbands. We have a plan to love our wives. And let me just say this. If your marriage is in trouble, the first thing you should do is go back to the vows and remember the plan that you made and then work through that plan because that plan has a model and that model is God. What is the, the plan and God's plan for love? God plans to be faithful as we should be faithful to our mate. Let me say this, we should also be faithful to our mates. Oh, wait a minute, preacher, what do you mean? <clears throat> well, Here's what I mean. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. This is, is something I think is kind of interesting. <clears throat> As I was preparing this message, I study at home. I have study days, and I study at home, and, and nobody is there, and there's, there's very little interruption, and, and I'm able to devote myself to study. And I, I study in my little office there, I guess more formally it'd be called a study, there on the front of my house, and 
and we've got these shutters, and, and I'll open those shutters, and I'll look out the window. I'll work on my computer and, and have an eye out the window. It just kind of lets the day in. And <clears throat> as I was studying, at this very point in the message, it's very interesting to me, at this very point in preparing this message, I saw the, uh, the mail truck come. And <clears throat> I went out to get it, and there was a letter in there from a friend, a very dear friend, somebody that I've known <clears throat> a long time, somebody that I, I love dearly. <clears throat> the return address was on a, uh, a standardized return address form. Here's what it said, prisoner name, and then a place where my friend wrote his name, prisoner number, <clears throat> and then a place where my friend wrote his prison ID number. Parnell Correction Facility, 1790 East Parnell Road, Jackson, Michigan, and then gave the zip code. And I, I thought to myself, wow, I'm at the very point of explaining the love of God and and how that we should have a love for our friends and that our love should be faithful to our friends. And here comes this letter from my friend who is in prison. I read the letter before I continued with the message. Oddly enough, he was apologizing to me for having a negative spirit in some of our correspondence. (laughs) Now, here's a guy who was a successful pastor. Here is a guy who uh, had a wonderful family and has a, a large group of friends. And he made a serious, serious mistake and committed a crime and has been put in prison in Michigan. And he's in a room with eight other prisoners. And he can only have a a certain amount of money every month. And he takes that money and he uses it to buy food items to supplement what they get uh, in the the cafeteria. And two or three times, someone has gone into his locker and stolen every food item that he had. Stolen it completely. Quite honestly, many of his family members have turned their backs on him. He has children who live in the area who have not yet come to see him in prison. In fact, none of his children have come to see him in prison. His wife has stopped coming to see him in prison. And... He would write and tell me about it. He would tell me about how he had not seen pictures of his grandchildren in a certain period of time. And it was a very difficult time in his life. And he came to some point where he felt like he needed to apologize to me for being negative, which I thought was very interesting. It seems to me that a 
a stay in prison might make you ripe for a negative spirit. Uh, wouldn't you say that, Arthur? I, I would think that a stay in prison might, might really assault your positive outlook. And I'm so sorry that he broke the law. And I'm so sorry that he is in prison. And it'll be good when he gets out and be able to get out. And he's going to get out December the 10th and, and start repairing his life. You know what he's going to need when he gets out? He's going to need some people who plan to be faithful to him. Some friends who will love him at all times. He's going to need some, some people who are faithful regardless of his past and regardless of his shame. He's going to need some, some men like me who will still call him brother. And some men like our other friends who will still call him brother. Aren't you a little ashamed to be associated with that? Well, let me ask you this. Don't you think God has reason to be ashamed to be associated with you and me? Don't, don't you think that, that there are times when God looks at his plan to be faithful to you and me and he sees how we act and he sees how we are and he sees what we think and, and he reads our attitudes and, and he is so ashamed of us but because of his plan to love, he loves us right through the shame. Friends love at all times. That's just the way that it is. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, the Bible says. God is our friend who sticks closer than a brother. And like God, we should have a plan to be faithful to our mate and to our mates. We should have a plan to be faithful to our master. Job proclaimed that even if God were to slay him, his trust would remain in God. This is how we must love God. As the, as the song says, God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. We have to decide to love God, even through what feels bad to us. We still love God. We determine to love God. Because God's plan was to love us. God has a purpose in love. God has a plan for love. And let me say this to you. God has a preference in love. It's true that God loves everyone. And he loves the saint and he loves the sinner. And he loves people who do not love him. He loves them but only has a relationship with those who have a relationship with his son Jesus. God has preferences in love. And his preferences in love is that, that we love his son, and that we have a relationship with his son. Jesus said it like this, Matthew 10, But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. God wants you and God wants me to confess his son, to embrace his son, not to deny his son. He wants us, he wants to, he loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. But God has a preference in love in that we must have a relationship with his son, Jesus. I know the father through Jesus and so do you. And the father knows me through Jesus. He loves me anyway, but he knows me 
through Jesus. He also wants us to live righteously. Psalm 146 and verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. Proverbs 15 and verse 9, the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who pursues righteousness. God loves the sinner and the sinful, but he clearly prefers for us to live in righteousness. Now, the only way that we can live in righteousness is to live through Jesus Christ. The Bible says in us there's no good thing. So to live righteously, we must live through Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul said. For me to live is Christ. Now here's what he meant by that. He meant all that I can live before God, I live through Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that. Now, I think this morning that the, the ensemble, the praise team ensemble, I think they sung one of the most beautiful numbers that I've ever heard sung in this church. I thought it was magnificent. I thought it was beyond good. It was absolutely stunning. <clears throat> now, when I think God looks down and hears that, I don't know that God says, boy, that Larry Martin can sing. I don't know where he got that, but boy, can he ever sing it. And that Marie, I love Marie Funches because she can sing. No, I don't think God does that at all. Here's what I think. I think God looks on the heart. And God sees the heart from which those songs, those singers were singing today. And they sang of the love of God from a heart that was right with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it made a difference to them, to him, because they sang Christ's righteousness. They sang from Christ's righteousness. When we are living the Christ life, we are pleasing and uplifting the Savior. We are pleasing and walking with the Father. So there you have three things, God's purpose to love, God's plan to love, and God's preference in love. Now let me go to to a fourth thing, and that's God's protection of love. Not only does he have a purpose in love and a plan for it and preferences for those that he loves, but God has a, a protection plan. His plan is not a limited warranty, and there aren't expiration dates, but he has a full protection plan of love for all of those who are identified with Christ, for all who have found forgiveness in Him. it's, It's warranted against certain hazards. Let me give you some hazards that the love of God is warranted against in your life. First of all, it's warranted against recall. You don't have to worry about recall on the love of God. Now, here's what I mean by that. Isaiah 38 and verse 17. Behold, it was for my welfare that I had great bitterness, but in love you have delivered my life from the pit of destruction. You have cast all my sins behind your back. Pretty cool, huh? Isn't that great? 
I was talking to Bradford this week, and I, I was <clears throat> describing to him peripheral vision. And I said, Bradford, I want to I explain peripheral vision to you. I said, now I want you to look at my nose, and then tell me how many fingers I'm holding up. And I held my finger over the side. First, the first time he went, <clears throat> one. <clears throat> no, Bradford, that's, that's not it. I'm trying to get you to understand peripheral vision. I want you to look at my nose and tell me how many fingers I'm holding up. So <clears throat> he looked at my nose, and, and I held up two fingers, and he said, I, I held him like that, so he, he said, <clears throat> two. I said, that's peripheral vision. We did three and, <clears throat> and so on. Now, everybody has peripheral vision, but let me tell you what you don't have. You don't have panoramic vision. You can't see all the way around. There are limits to what you can see. You can see it about right there, and then it probably, I can still barely see my hands right there. But I'll say this to you. If I put something behind my back, <clears throat> it's gone. Do you know that's where God puts our sins? He puts them in a place <clears throat> of no recall. Now, that's very different from us. Most husbands can tell you that our wives have total recall. <clears throat> They can't remember where they put the checkbook, but believe you me, they can remember what was said in the restaurant on the vacation three years ago. <clears throat> that isn't completely true, but it isn't completely false either. <clears throat> God doesn't have that kind of recall. In love, He has delivered us from the <clears throat> threat of hell, and He has put the sins that would send us there behind His back so that they are never again recalled. He has protected us from what would happen if He remembered our sin after having forgiven them. We need a love like that. We need a love that doesn't have recall. We need a love that doesn't recall our sins, and we need to have a love that doesn't recall the sins of others. Here's the second thing that we're protected against. We're protected against recklessness. Not only are we warranted against recall, but against being reckless in our spiritual walk. Jeremiah 31.3 says, The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. God's love is everlasting. As He loved Israel with an everlasting love, He loves you and me with an everlasting love. Being identified with Christ places us in a unique position of almost always knowing that God loves us and is there. Now, I say almost always knowing because there are times when we sink so low that we cannot see God. But there's never a time that we sink so low that God cannot see us. At our lowest moment, when we fail Him and damage, damage ourselves, God's protection of love is there. He said it best this way as Jesus spoke these words, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, 
and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's how protective God's love is against recklessness. We want to protect our children against recklessness. God protects us against recklessness. When your children drive away from your house, regardless of how old they are, do you sometimes say to them, be careful? Now, they may be 40 or 50 years old. They may have been driving forever. And you're saying be careful doesn't make them be careful. But it helps you to remember that you have this desire to protect them against recklessness. God's protection plan covers recall, and God's protection plan covers recklessness, and it covers restrictions. You, you may have had an occasion where your warranty was revoked on a certain claim because of the way you used the product or because you were in a place where the warranty would not be honored. That's pretty frustrating. But I've got a warranty on this, yes, but you're not warranted if you use it in this way. You, you violated your warranty when you did this. You put this product on your car and that violated your warranty. Oh, that can be frustrating. Do you know that there are no such restrictions on the love of God? When He forgives us <clears throat> of our sins and sets His love on us as a child, we are loved to infinity and beyond, as Buzz Lightyear would say. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Oh, boy. (laughs) How far is the east from the west? Well, it's infinitely far from each other. Here's a wise statement that I read the other day. Our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace, and your best days are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. And so we live in God's grace. So what have we seen? In the love of God, we know that there is a purpose. We know that in God's love, there is a plan. He has a plan to be faithful We know that God has a preference. God loves us, but He wants us to have a relationship with Him and have a a righteousness that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. We know that all of this is under a protection plan that God gives to you and me. Now, the question is this, how is it backed? (laughs) You ever bought a warranty? And then found out later <clears throat> that, the, it was, that the warranty wasn't backed the way you expected it to be backed. How is God's warranty backed? Well, that's the final point, and that's the proof of God's love. <clears throat> Very simple. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish 
but have eternal life. There's the backing for it. It's like Satan said to Jesus in the skit. You know, it's going to cost you your sweat. You know, it's going to cost you your blood. You know, it's going to cost you your life. Jesus said, I know. I'm the proof of the Father's love. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to visit again the words in that song that we heard earlier in the service. I would sing it for you, but uh, my goodness, the humidity outside is 120% and it has settled in my throat today, so I won't try to sing it. But I want you to listen to these words. Maybe the greatest words, or at least, I don't know that there's ever been, ever been greater words written than these. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. My favorite verse is this one. Could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Think of that. Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole. Though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure. The saints and angels' song. Pastor Ray, what will we do when we get to heaven? I don't know, but I'm sure it's going to involve singing. And I'm positive the singing will be about the love of God. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, 
Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.